Hello and welcome to A History of the United States. Episode 71, Native Americans 11, Northeast Woodlands, Part 2. Remember that this is a listener-supported podcast. If you'd like to support the show, then please consider signing up for membership. It is a great way to support this endeavour, and it gives you access to an exclusive premium episode once every two weeks, currently covering the military strategy of the Roman Empire. Just go to their website, thehistoryofpodcast.com, and click on the PayPal subscription button. It costs $4.99 per month. In our last episode, we introduced the Northeast Woodlands. The Northeast Woodlands is the area that we've spent the most time with so far, and all of the tribes that we've come across so far in the Euro-American narrative are based here. As one of the first areas that Europeans arrived in, the Northeast Woodlands are particularly well documented. This is why much like with the southwest, we're going to be spending multiple episodes dealing with a singular region. After our look at the different tribes and tribal groupings last week, it's about time that we get into history. Much of the early stages of Native American history are blurred, as I'm sure you know all too well by now. We do know for certain that man was living in the northeast by the time of the last ice age, around 11,000 years ago. It is thought that they most likely arrived from the west or south, as people entered the region from the Great Plains, and this would make sense since they used very similar stone tools to those used by the big game hunters. Due to the amount of archaeological material found, it is assumed that they hunted the large animals that inhabited the region during this period, such as mastodons, muskox, elk, and giant beavers. Now, as you all know by now, I watch more than my fair share of nature documentaries. David Attenborough is just the best. I generally think there isn't that much that can really surprise me with animals anymore. But seriously, giant beavers. I did a double take when I read that, and immediately did a Google image search for the giant beaver, or to give it its scientific name, Castorides. Standing at over a metre tall and three metres long, these things are terrifying. It's highly worth a Google search when you have a spare moment, because I'm quite sure these things are the stuff of nightmares. But anyway, this all changed with the warming of the planet and the close of the Ice Age. Approximately 10,000 years ago, the climate began to heat up, and this greatly affected the northeast woodlands. The large game animals, such as the mastodons, and the giant beavers, began to disappear, and retreated to the north. This was how the northeast entered the early archaic period. Hunting was still a very important part of life, and most lifestyles remained nomadic. But as the vegetation changed, gathering and collecting wild foods and fishing 
became increasingly important activities. Material culture also began to develop and soon spread. Pestles and mortars were used in addition to a form of crude boat or canoe which appeared in the area around the Great Lakes. The Great Lakes had a strong maritime culture in this period due to the large numbers of post-glacial lakes that appeared following the retreat of the ice sheets. In fact, the culture is known as the Aqua Plano stage. During the late Archaic, about 5,000 years ago to 3,000 years ago, a number of regional cultures emerged throughout the northeast, although we are not sure about the exact relationship between them all. It's possible that one culture, known as Boreal Archaic, was the parent culture to those of the region. It was a culture well adapted to life in the forests, and was rather similar to a number of other cultures that appeared in the Asian and European boreal forests. We also think that the precursor of the Algonquian languages appeared in the region at this time. Life in the forests meant advanced use of wooden tools and development of ground stone items, such as axes. The improvement in technology was the key point of this stage. It was in this period that metalwork began. There was an offshoot of the boreal archaic culture known as the old copper culture, which began to use, wait for it, copper, I know, you could have never guessed that. True story. This was the first use of metal in the Americas. They used copper both as decoration, things like pendants and bracelets, as well as in a utilitarian manner, such as spear points and knives. It reached its zenith between 4,000 and 3,000 years ago. Then, the culture faded. As with many pre-Columbian cultures, why this happened is a mystery. There is no shortage of theories to explain it. As the cooler climate moved north, the people of the culture may have followed it into a region without copper deposits. They might have stayed in the region and altered their culture in response to a changing environment. Some groups did continue to use the metal, but for whatever reason, the old copper culture disappeared. In this time period, between 4,000 and 3,000 years ago, the late Archaic Era came to a close as a transition to early woodland culture happened. This was a more stable and sedentary society with a more advanced economy. We can see examples of this with things such as a series of complex burial sites across the region. The dead were buried in high places with ornaments and powdered red ochre. This was accompanied with funeral rituals. These were of high complexity. Cremation also increased across the region, which points to communication between the different areas. Pottery began to appear in the northeast. We aren't sure where exactly it came from. 
it had a distinctive style, which is common in Eurasia, meaning that many suggest it came from Siberia, while others say it developed independently in the area without outside influence, while others suggest it came from the south. When we talked about the southwest, I mentioned how pottery made its way from Mesoamerica, and many suspect that pottery came from there too, either directly or in a diffused manner through the southeast. By 3,000 years ago, the early woodland stage was well underway. From about 1000 BC, mound building began to appear, most notably in the Adena culture of the Ohio Valley, where the practice spread into the Chesapeake and from there into New England. It was in this period that agriculture began to enter the region, like with pottery probably arriving from the south in a diffused manner from Mexico. It was still a hunting and gathering culture, but agriculture was working its way into life. In the region of Salt Caves, Kentucky, by about 1200 BC, squash and gourds were forming almost 50% of their diet. The arrival of agriculture had a series of predictable results, namely that fixed settlements started to develop in the region, in addition to population growth. Social and religious systems grew more complex, as exemplified by the aforementioned Adena culture in the Ohio Valley, whose burial mounds grew steadily more complex, as well as the sites having more elaborate pieces of pottery, artwork, and metalwork. It was a pattern that repeated itself again and again across the region. By about the year 100 BC, one of the most advanced cultures seen in pre-Columbian North America arrived, the Hopewellian culture. Centred on the central Mississippi and Illinois valleys, Hopewellian culture lasted until about 500 to 700 AD, and dominates what is known as the Middle Woodland Period, and sees villages and ceremonial centres appearing along rivers, as well as large burial mounds. They had expanded from the earlier cultivation of squash to also grow corn as well as beans and tobacco. Agriculture was forming a very significant part of the diet, but gathering and hunting still had their roles. Fishing was important to the Hopewellian culture, as I'm sure you can imagine, considering that it was based in river valleys. People lived in semi-permanent villages, surrounding the permanent ceremonial centres in dome-shaped wigwams. There were, of course, reasons for this flourishing culture, and perhaps the most important was the emergence of a continental trade network. Items from all over North America made their way to Hopewellian settlements, everything from the decorative obsidian and conch shells to the more useful copper and lead. The variety of materials led to advanced tools, which in turn led to highly decorated items they could produce. Sculptures started appearing as engravings on stone, bone, wood, and shell, all taking place, 
and musical instruments also developed. We know about all of these because they were buried with the dead. As interesting as it is to have all of this, I cannot say how much I wish we had written records. Archaeology can only tell us so much, but as we lack any writing, it is rather difficult to understand what exactly their developed social organisation was. We know there were specialist professionals, a sophisticated religious system, and class structure, but not really anything about them. We are not even sure about whether it was a single state which expanded, or just a cultural area. What we do know is that the culture spread. It didn't reach the height that it did in Ohio, anywhere else, but it did expand throughout the northeast and southeast, with these regions each having their own Hopewellian period. One of these was the Point Peninsula culture, centred in Ontario and New York. This culture didn't have agriculture, at least at the beginning, but it did have some advanced pottery. This particular culture will be one that we'll come back to, and that we'll have a great deal to say about in the future, particularly next episode. It will eventually become part of the Iroquois, but as I say, that is all for the future. Right now, we need to finish off this episode, and we'll do that by finishing off our discussion of the Hopewell. After the year AD 500, the Hopewellian culture experienced a decline. As with the decline of almost every pre-Columbian culture, we don't know what caused it, although we have theories. Perhaps the trade network which provided the Hopewellian culture with the natural resources it required collapsed. Maybe it was sudden, maybe it was a gradual transition into something else, all we do know is that the traits that define Hopewellian culture disappeared, and the artistic sophistication declined. It wasn't a complete collapse, though. What it meant was, rather than being the most sophisticated area of North America, the area of the Hopewells became that of everyone else in the Northeast. There were many different groups, all of which varied in their own way, spread across the region on a similar cultural level. This is where we shall leave things for this week. If you've enjoyed today's episode, then please consider visiting us online. The website is thehistoryofpodcast.com. It's the place to go for maps and to sign up for the membership series. We're also on social media. You can find me at History Jamie on Twitter and at facebook.com forward slash the history of podcast. Feel free to send me an email. The address is the history of podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time when we get to talk in a lot more detail than we did this week about the Iroquois.